Hello and welcome to To The Edge and Beyond, a series that makes sense of powerful innovation for real-world applications. It's brought to you by the Intel Internet of Things Group. Hello and welcome to The Edge and Beyond, brought to you by the Intel Internet of Things Group. I'm James Kent. The COVID-19 pandemic has disrupted supply chains, company operations, and individual workers. It's created a paradigm shift in every industry, and certainly technology cannot be excluded from this. So what success factors can we point to in the next normal? Today, I have with me two exciting guests, both PhDs, to talk about these issues. Joining me are Irene Petrick and Faith McCreary. Irene is Senior Director of Industrial Innovation, and Faith is Senior Principal Engineer and Senior Researcher and Strategist for Industrial Innovation. Both are with Intel's Internet of Things Group. Irene and Faith, welcome to the show. It's great to have you both on, and I'm looking forward to hearing your insights. How are you both doing today? Doing well. Thank you, James. Great to be here. Thanks you know, much for having us. Excellent. Now, before we begin, why don't each of you introduce yourselves? Tell us a little bit about your roles at Intel and your expertise. Sure. I'm Faith McCurry. I'm a senior principal engineer at Intel in the Internet of Things group. My background is kind of diverse, everything from mathematics to rocket science to most recently industrial and systems engineering, as well as human factors. My focus in the Internet of Things group has really been on how do we bring the voices of the outside folks that are impacted by all these smart things that we're launching out into the world and really making them part of the process as we figure out what's the right offerings to have, how, how can we help accelerate digital transformation. And I've been doing this work for about four years now with my partner in crime, who you'll hear from shortly, Irene Petrick. Hey, thanks, Faith. Uh, I'm Irene Petrick. I'm Senior Director of Industrial Innovation in Intel's Internet of Things Group. Um, I work in the um, Industrial Solutions uh, Division. I'm going on my seventh year at Intel, and before that I was a professor at Penn State and a consultant, and I worked with the U.S. military with um, about 12 Fortune 100 companies and a wide variety of small to medium-sized businesses, and most of that work was focused on digital innovation. As Faith indicated, uh, we've been collaborating for over four years, and we've been studying the digital transformation journey of more than 500 participants from over 400 companies, and much of what we say today actually draws from that work. So it feels like we've been talking about the pandemic forever, and I keep waiting for the day when I can speak about COVID in the past tense, but what we've learned in the past 24 months is it's not over till it's over. So a few questions. How are investments changing as companies continue to respond to COVID and its challenges? What trends will linger and drive future operations? And how can leaders create a culture of agility and resilience in the face of COVID and further disruptions? Yeah, so let me let me unpack that question. Let me start, James, with the the idea of of how has COVID been changing investments. Um, so we worked with uh, technologists uh, in manufacturing companies and in the ecosystem companies that supported them. And we asked them in 2019, before the pandemic hit, we asked them, what kind of investments were you planning in the next couple of years? 
And over half of them, 51% said they were going to invest in artificial intelligence. They were going to invest in 44% said predictive or big data analytics, smart machinery or equipment, robotics, smart upgrades of existing equipment, additive manufacturing. So there's a long list of, of technologies, digital technologies, that companies were planning on investing in in 2019. Mm. And most of those investments were pretty um, exploratory. There, there wasn't a, a direct ROI tied to a lot of them, and they were really trying to simply learn what was possible and what was out there. That was 2019. Then COVID hits in 2020, and we asked companies, technologists once again in manufacturing and in um, the ecosystem companies that support them, we asked, what are you going to do with what are you going to do with investments? And 43% of the companies we talked to in our manufacturing 100 study. They said they're going to increase their digital spending, but it's interesting where they were increasing their digital spending was much different than what they had thought they were going to do in 2019. Mm. By 2020, they were really increasing their spending around networking and connectivity upgrades, cloud capabilities, cybersecurity. So, so we began to see a real shift that was a direct result of COVID, which was, hey, I can't support wo- remote workers. I don't have the infrastructure necessary uh, to support cloud or cloud access to data. And so a lot of this became a, um, a real rush to, to beef up the infrastructure that these companies had around digital infrastructure. By 2021, we began to see an even greater acceleration of investments. <laughs> and we started to see a little bit of a return to what we had been thinking about before the pandemic. We still saw 67% were going to invest in infrastructure upgrades, but 42% of the manufacturing 100 companies said they were going to look at big data analytics and AI. 35% said automation. Uh, 35% said remote monitoring and control. So you can see that there was a real knee-jerk reaction. And then we're beginning to see more of a return to what we would think of as, I won't say normal, but the next normal. But but the interesting thing is that whereas 2019 expenditures were very exploratory, uh, 2020 investments were highly tactical. And the 2021 and what we think of as beyond is going to be much more tightly tied to return on investment kinds of assessments. Yeah. And the majority of them are much more sort of mid-range as opposed to some of the much longer range plans and, and investments that we saw back in 2019. And one of the important things to know here is that COVID disruptions are still having an impact today. There's a lot, if you know, you go out and like we do, and we ping the manufacturers or the people who work with them directly, they're still having, experiencing disruptions, things like supply chain shortages, or everything costs more, even if they can find it in the supply chain, or things like people are still getting sick and not showing up for work. So, you know, they're living in the midst of still some of these disruptions. They're not quite as disruptive as they were before because they've learned to deal with some of this. But, you know, the fact is they're still still experiencing, they still expect to in the next six or 12 months still be experiences. 60% actually tell us that these disruptions that they're talking about are serious. So it's it's not like it's, you know, it's all over. It's just they're, they've really learned to deal with it in a way that they didn't at the start of the pandemic. What's even worse is that if you think about COVID, and we've seen this continue across the last two years, is that COVID really is an amplifier for existing problems that 
manufacturers had pre-pandemic. So mm. things like their data quality, or maybe they didn't have access to data digitally, or, you know, how do I deal with like unexpected production variances? You know, what happens when we put new people on the floor? What happens when, you know, things go wrong in my process? So there's, there's still a lot of challenges that they're dealing with. I think the good news to me, based on what Irene was telling you about was that people are starting to really see that infrastructure is important and it's an enabler for all these things that will help them deal with these disruptions. That's something that we didn't really see two and a half years ago or back in 2019. Now, there are some trends from COVID that we're, we see lingering, or at least the people that we're working with see lingering from you know people on the factory floor or hands off the technology to the C-suite. So there's five main ones that we think are really going to impact manufacturers and the people that support them moving forward. Remote work, you know, certainly two and a half years ago, no one in manufacturing ever thought remote work was even possible. But now that they've experienced it, they're like, I don't want to let go of that. And, you know, (laughs) it's just, you know, they they don't want to go anywhere. It's it's an important thing, especially in terms of keeping the workers. Um, Mm -hmm. There's still resource fragility. You know, there's been a lot of turnover in, you know, people leaving and doing early retirements. There's, you know, do people want to go work? There's a lot of reasons besides just COVID that they expect to still be struggling with their resourcing issues. You know, worker safety has always been a problem in manufacturing, not just with COVID. COVID just made it worse. You know, they still need to buffer themselves from variances. They're still frustrated with all the global supply chain issues and, you know, other supply chain issues they're wrestling with on a daily basis. So, you know, there's not any quick fixes here that, you know, it's going to take some concerted effort and holistic thinking to really find a way to address some of these things. You know, the lesson that they've really learned and they, they tell us uh, time and time again when we reach out and ping them is that, you know, it, it, disruptions can come from anywhere and they expect disruptions to continue. So from their perspective, they really need to be better prepared. They don't want to just say, oh, COVID's done that. I don't have to worry about disruptions anymore. They're really looking to internalize and, and be better at dealing with the unexpected. Let's take the overall need to face these challenges and apply them to the Internet of Things and edge technology. As compute follows data to the edge and system architectures need to span the edge to the cloud, what does this mean for compute, storage, and network and infrastructure? I don't think anybody disagrees that compute is following data and that data is being produced at the edge. And this is partly due to latency issues. Uh, in other words, um, I, I don't have the, the time to send data from my edge all the way up to the cloud and back again if I'm trying to control a piece of equipment, for example. Mm-hmm. The other thing that really um, is, is moving compute to the edge is, is bandwidth. Machines at the edge are giving off an incredible amount of data every second that they're operating. And so when you think about all of this, the, the, the machines are giving off all this data, but not all of it is really useful or relevant in the scope of either control or in the scope of, of tracking over time. And so what we're seeing is that, that we have to figure out from an architecture perspective, what data matters, how often do I need to collect it, 
Can I take all of the data that's being produced at the edge and can I reduce it? Can I process it at the edge and reduce the, the size of that data so that I'm really only capturing the, the important aspects of what the machine is doing or the machine's health or the interaction of the machine and the production, uh, the work pieces that it's putting through. And, and so what we're really seeing is I have to be able to, to figure out what data to capture, where to process it, and, and where and when to transmit it. Because we, we've talked about the challenge of infrastructure already. But you know, storage isn't free, compute isn't free. And so we really have to balance those resources and the use of those resources. And and our work suggests uh, that 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 the infrastructure piece is really a critical problem um, for companies who were trying to stand up digital solutions. So even as companies are upgrading their infrastructures, that bandwidth is still a problem. So, so we really need to be thinking about how do I look at my production facilities? How do I look at each machine? And how do I tease out what are the critical pieces of data that I need to be collecting and using right away? Or what are the critical pieces of data that I need to be collecting, perhaps using right away, but then storing for future analytics? Yeah. And, and the infrastructure is really the forefront of that. It's, it's not just the pandemic that has brought the infrastructure to the forefront. It's also just trying to make that shift to the edge. And in fact, our next study that we are just getting started with is aimed at better understanding that foundation of infrastructure and what are the decision factors around it and what are the strategies that people that are out there doing it right now um, are using to really maximize the value of their infrastructure investments. I want to take us back just a little bit. When we were talking about the changes of the pandemic, we mentioned labor shortages. Now, how are skills gaps that manufacturing and other companies are facing and labor shortages, how are they accelerating the pace of automation and digital transformation? And if industries are facing those skills and labor shortages, how is that impacting your ability to deliver on an, the advancements needed for this transformation to take place? James, that's, that's a really interesting question because it's, it's really a double-edged sword yeah. uh, for, for, tech, for technology companies such as Intel. Um, on the one hand, we're producing digital solutions uh, in conjunction with ourselves and with the, the partners that we work with to take solutions to market. We're producing these, these digital solutions that require a, a pretty good understanding of digital technologies, a good understanding of, of software development and use and deployment. And, and the challenge is that that's one piece of it. So we don't have a workforce that's trained in uh, digital uh, tools that, that's really trained in software engineering. Um, and we don't have a, a, a workforce that is really, in many cases, comfortable with a lot of this digital technology. Now combine that with the, the automation that we're also working on, we're, we're bringing automation to companies in ways that we're actually replacing workers who have already left. Right. So there, there has been a long-term feeling that, that, oh my goodness, if I automate, I'm going to replace workers. Now the concern is I don't have the workers I need, so I must automate. Right. So that, that double-edged sword really is, it, it's great for technology companies because it gives us problems to solve that, that digital technologies can really solve very, very well. Um, and so it's in, in 2019, it was a skills gap. 
in 2020 and 2021, it became a digital skills gap plus a labor shortage. And so companies are really having to scramble to attract workers, to keep workers, and then to figure out how to best equip those remaining workers with automation and AI kinds of artificial intelligence kinds of solutions that actually augment their ability to do their jobs. Yeah, and and really what they're struggling with, there's just not enough digitally savvy workers to go around in manufacturing or the larger world right now. Um, So that's not going to change anytime soon. And what makes this more complicated with manufacturing or industrial settings is that it's not just enough to have digital skills. You also have to understand what's going on in manufacturing. I mean, it's a complex space with a real expertise in that what you really need to find are sort of what Irene and I call the, the double deep workers. So that they have both manufacturing and they have technology skills. And, you know, it's often hard to find those people. Um, so a lot of times the focus is on really building teams that have that double expertise, but you know, it's not easy to do. You can't grow into them people individually. You can't grow teams that way overnight. You know, and if you think about IoT solutions, especially in industrial IoT, if you think about the holistic complexity of that and how many different types of technologies and even manufacturing knowledge goes into making those things work. What we find is that there's a lot of people working past their expertise. You know, whether they specialize in technology or in manufacturing. And when we first looked at this back in 2019, we looked at how smart projects happened around digital transformation. And what we found was in a study of about 200 people that everyone told us that in some way or another, they were working past their expertise, which is kind of scary, um, yeah. especially when you think about some of the things that they were working past their expertise on, things like cybersecurity. If I remember correctly, it was around only 20% of the people that were responsible for cybersecurity on these projects actually felt like they were, you know, had the expertise to do the job, it, which, you know, is, is really, you know, scary given the environment. And what manufacturing leaders are going to need to think about is not only how to attract workers, because certainly, a lot of people don't, you know, the, the reputation or brand of manufacturing work for many people is is not there. Mm-hmm. So it makes it hard to attract. You know, you have to think about how you rethink your production environments and your factory and your even the workflows that keep them all together, especially in light of the fact that there's a lot of expectation that at least they'll be able to be remote or at least hybrid um, work situations. You know, and when you think about the fact that these manufacturers are competing for talent, tech savvy talent, not only with other manufacturers who are, you know, sometimes literally stealing people out of the factory. In fact, in the last thing we did, it was interesting during COVID, there was a whole drop off of people just leaving manufacturing because of the risk factors of being a social worker and stuff. But what we found last time was the fact that we still had our longitudinal participants, but they like a huge amount of them changed jobs at a much higher rate than we'd ever seen in the last four or five years. So, you know, definitely people are, are moving around and tech companies are, are, you know, struggling for skilled workers also. So it's, it's really kind of a conundrum. How do you find these people that have the expertise you need, that have the knowledge of the factory to really make accelerate in this digital transformation? Yeah, and as another layer to this, um, as we deploy smart systems, what role does the ecosystem play in digital transformation? How should we be selecting vendors and strategic partners to make that happen? 
Well, if, if you think back to like what I was talking about with the skills aren't monolithic, there's a lot of different skills that need to go together. Well, you know, digital solutions aren't monolithic either. There's a whole bunch of different things that have to fit together and work and it's hardware and software and, you know, things like the edge that um, Irene was just talking about. And they're, they're, you know, really specialized. I mean, it's not like you suddenly go out and say, Hey, you know, I'll stand on the street and I suddenly find someone because you're, you're not going to find one. And what's worse from a manufacturer perspective, you know, one of the people that we have worked with over the years basically said it was kind of like making a password quilt, but it was more like a crazy quilt than a, than a plan quilt because there's no single vendor that really has everything that they need. So they have to sort of hunt and peck and try to find out what they need and how they all fit together. And, you know, they, it's hard to find a, you know, someone to advise them. They have to pilot, they have to scale it. So there's so many places where they can just fall down in this process. And, you know, to really make this work successfully, to go smoothly from, you know, this thing I tried out to see if it worked to, you know, a solution at scale in my factories is really about the ecosystem and the, you know, ecosystem partners have to be willing to play well together as well as the solutions to be interoperable. And what we find, you know, is there's a lot of proprietary out there, especially in the industrial space. There's a lot of vendors and suppliers who, you know, do one piece of the puddle, but they aren't, you know, paying attention to how they fit in with the other pieces. You know, sometimes they have system integrators that can put, but it's, it's really hard to get to the point where you have a functioning whole. So, you know, they're really looking to people like Intel, basically looking at us sort of play a role and also matchmaker. So think of it, you know, they see the big technology companies as almost like an ecosystem matchmaker. We help them find all the different people they're going to need to stand this thing up in their factory and to really get the value that they, they think they're going to have. So, you know, we're not just a provider of these, you know, chips and things anymore. We're really people that they see as sort of having playing out across the ecosystem and having the potential to help them marry the stuff together. Yeah, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll just interject real quickly there. Uh, related to that ecosystem, one of the things that Intel is spending quite a lot of time on is standards and the development of standards. And, and those are interoperable kinds of standards to help ecosystem players play better in the sandbox, if you will, because they have then a well-understood, well-accepted uh, points of, of interaction with their hardware and their software so that it will make it eventually make it easier to put these systems together uh, in ways that it's a little bit tough to do right now since many, uh, many of these um, vendors are using different protocols for things. At the top of our conversation, we talked about COVID and the way the pandemic has shaped various aspects of business and technology. And you know, we focused on how there were plans in 2019 and what the trajectory has happened over the last couple of years. But do you think COVID has accelerated digital transformation in that time? Uh, and, and what do you think its lasting impacts will be for industrial production systems moving forward? Well, James, certainly we've seen an acceleration uh, in the adoption of uh, digital solutions. We've seen an uptick in um, automation solutions. Uh, A3, which is a professional association for uh, the Association for Accelerating Automation, uh, reported that the Q3 numbers were the highest numbers they'd seen. So there's definitely an uptick. But when we think about that, we're going to run up against 
the infrastructure challenges. We're going to run up against the the remote versus hybrid versus on-site kind of work things. So when we think about, is the pandemic accelerating digital transformation? Yes, but it's changed some of the direction of that digital transformation. Uh, As Faith indicated, in 2019, nobody was talking about remote work. (laughs) Um, I don't think we're going to go back to completely on-site 100% for mm-hmm. manufacturing companies, um, at least not 100% of them. There are some reasons to hope. I mean, if we, the companies we talk to and the participants we work with, you know, 57% or something like that said that their, their companies intended to increase their digital spending in the next, you know, six to 12 months or 18. So, you know, definitely there's an intent. It doesn't mean things can't change, but there's definitely a intent. There's also, to me, when I think about digital transformation, one of the biggest sort of, you know, de-accelerators has been the fact that, you know, people, they see the value, but they don't always truly believe. And when we talk about, like, you know, the companies in the larger workforce are really becoming more attuned to what technology provide. They, they believe in a way that we did not see before the pandemic. They've had the value of like, I can actually work remotely. You know, I can get my job done from a different place. They see that they're getting data on situations that even if they're on the factory floor or they're working in the factory, it kind of untethers them from the machine in a way that they haven't had in the past. And they see the ways for the information sort of shifts the nature of their work to something they, they actually feel like they, they, they are looking forward to. So, you know, I think that's part of what is not going to put the genie back in the bottle. And in fact, it's kind of interesting. One of the statistics that we had is around, you know, what percentage of companies and participants for their companies actually believe their companies will not only survive this pandemic and, and what's coming at us, but will actually thrive in the future. And 82% actually thought that their company was going to thrive in part because they survived all these different things. They put money into digital transformation. They've found that they're much more resilient and agile than they ever, ever thought they were, you know, because they survived, they, they adapted to a lot of things. So I think in some ways there's really a lot of sort of hope for the continuing of this digital transformation. Irene and Faith, these have been some great insights from both of you today. If folks want to learn more about the Intel Internet of Things group and the work you're doing to excel digital transformation, where should they go to learn more? They can go to our face or my LinkedIn profiles. Uh, We publish um, a lot of our work there and put it out um, through posts and through actual um, uh, publication of uh, white papers and full reports. Yeah. And of course, Intel.com has a whole industrial space if you want to get into the nitty gritty of the technologies that underlie this discussion that Irene and I had. Irene Patrick, Senior Director of Industrial Innovation and Faith McCreary, Senior Principal Engineer and Senior Researcher and Strategist for Industrial Innovation, both with the Intel Internet of Things group. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks, James. Thank you. And thank you for tuning in to this episode of To the Edge and Beyond, brought to you by the Intel Internet of Things group. Looking for more great content, To the Edge and Beyond? Subscribe to this channel on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts to hear past episodes and new ones as they become available. I'm James Kent. Let's talk again soon.